two hours of material here, so <laughs> I'll have more time to get it all in. My name is Aaron. Um, I work with the youth here at, at New Day Community Church along with my wife, beautiful wife, Adrian. there. We just recently celebrated our one-year wedding anniversary, so yeah, super excited about that. Um, I'm also a, a newspaper reporter. I work for the, the Kalamazoo Gazette. Um, and it's an interesting place I, I'm at in my life because um, at work, I'm constantly telling these stories about, I cover the, the crime and the cops beat and the courts. You may recognize me, my face, because I'm a local celebrity. Um, do, do people still read the newspaper anymore? Um, anyway, I, so I'm always t- telling this bad news. I'm always the bearer of bad news in the, with the, the newspaper. But then there's this other part of me where for the last six years I've been working with the young adult ministry here at New Day and now with the youth. And that's the part that I like more. So today we're going to be talking about the good news, the gospel. Um, this year we've been going through our core principles here at New Day. Um, we have the acronym FIRE, Father, Heart of God, Intimacy, Restoration. And now we're working on evangelism and ex- extending the kingdom. And hopefully when we... Can we bring up my uh, PowerPoint now? This is not on me, right? Is this... Are you hearing me all? Yeah? All right. Once I get my PowerPoint up here. We're, we're talking about the gospel. And hopefully when you think of extending the kingdom, that's one of the first things you think of, the gospel. Almost got that? We can tell some jokes if we need to. I wish I had that. Here we go. Yay. Falling in love with the gospel. Because I can't do this without my PowerPoint. It's just impossible. Um, And why it's good news. And what better way to start a discussion of the gospel than talking about Pablo Picasso, the famous atheist painter. Am I right? Just Just a joke. It's a joke. He's an atheist, but... This is just going to be a great sermon illustration, actually. My sermon illustrations don't always land, though. With, with a youth group recently, I had a parent come up to me and say, you know, he asked, she asked her, her kids, you know, what were you talking about at youth group? And, she, and then the kid was like, coffee. And I'm pretty sure it, the coffee was just some awesome sermon illustration that I used. But they remember the coffee, but not the, the point behind the coffee. So please remember the point behind this sermon illustration. Pablo Picasso, this famous painter. There he is. Can you hit the next? Or I got this. I've got this clicker. Hopefully this works. There we go. There he is. And those, those are two examples of his work. He's known for cubism, this kind of distorted, weird, super creative, awesome art, right? Well, there was one day that Pablo Picasso was on this train in Spain, and this businessman came up to him and approached him and said, Mr. Picasso, sir, you famous painter, why is your art so weird? Why is it so distorted and unrealistic? And the great painter was kind of taken aback for a moment and he hesitated. And he was like, well, sir, what do you perceive reality as? What is reality to you? And the guy reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a pocket-sized photograph of his wife. And he says, here, this is reality. This is my wife. And Picasso takes a look at um, the photograph and he kind of laughs and he says, this is your wife, really? She's really small and she's very flat, too. And the point that that Pablo Picasso was making was that um, this was just a two-dimensional image, a photograph, an empty representation of a woman that he believed deserved a masterpiece, right? Um, a woman who had beauty, depth, a soul. So if he was to do art with that, he would, he would want something that would convey 
all that depth. So I feel like in the same way that maybe this businessman had a shallow view of what art is, sometimes we as Christians can have a shallow view of um, the gospel. Maybe we try to take this three-dimensional gospel and force it into a two-dimensional box. Um, Or maybe we're trying to tell a two-dimensional gospel in a three-dimensional world. Um, And for example, when I was 10 years old, I was already a very passionate evangelist, um, mainly because I couldn't stand the thought of my friends and my family rotting in hell for eternity. That didn't sit very well with me. But unfortunately, that was really the extent of my understanding of the gospel. And I remember um, having a sleepover with one of my friends one time, and I I wanted to share with them um, the message of the gospel. And I remember saying... um, giving them my version of the gospel that um, Jesus died for your sins so you'd be forgiven and that you could spend eternity in heaven. Isn't that good news? And my, my friend was like, yeah, that's, that's great news. Why wouldn't I want to accept that? And then, you know, as we, we continued to talk and he continued to think, it got to the, um, he, he, he started questioning things. He was like, well, well Aaron, um, that sounds all well and good, but heaven sounds kind of boring. I mean, what are we going to do the whole time? It's, it's eternity. It's forever. And that question was just too big for my 10-year-old mind. And he, my friend continued to ask me more questions. You know, why would God allow sin? Why did God even create us? These questions that were really, I didn't know how to answer. So even at 10 years old, my friend was already demanding a fuller picture, a fuller explanation, more understanding of the gospel. There had to be more to Jesus than... Um, dying for our sins so that we could um, go to heaven, get our little harp, and play it and be bored for eternity in heaven. He understood that. Um, but we need to be preaching a gospel that, that, that is more, less about ourselves and what it is for us. Obviously, there are many benefits to knowing Jesus. But we need to have a gospel that, that points to Jesus um, and demands discipleship. Awesome. And we can easily fall into this trap of preaching a gospel that, like Picasso's critique of bad art, is too flat and too small. Amen? Are we all here this morning? Awesome. So today I want to look at... Um, is this even on, right? There we go. I think it's my glasses that are getting in the way. Do I sound different now? All right. Fuller. I think it's on right now. Okay, Beautiful. So here we go. If I've learned anything from Pastor Cameron, your, your points of your message should have a, an acronym. Or at least, if you don't have an acronym, try to have them all have the same letter. Now, I couldn't quite reach his level of having an acronym. I just couldn't do it. couldn't make it fit. But I've got all the same letter here. Um, the Gospel. It's a story of rescue. It's a story of return. It's a story of a renewed people launched. I don't even know if I'm... I don't think I'm doing this. You can go ahead. And it's the story of a reigning king. Um, so we're going to look at these four points this morning, and hopefully it'll give us a fuller picture of what the gospel is. Let's start with uh, the, the point of rescue. And really the story of the Old Testament is really an unfinished narrative, right? Um, Genesis 1 through 3 tells this story of how God creates a people to share the earth with. I'm still bugging me. <laughs> share the earth with. 
and to have a relationship with God and to fill the earth, to govern it. And, and then it talks about how this plan went terribly wrong when Adam and Eve disobeyed God's commands and, and sin entered the world, right? Um, Genesis 12, really through the end of the, the Old Testament, tells the story of Israel, God's chosen people, the one, the people that he makes a covenant with, you know, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, and I'm going to use this people to um, undo humanity's plight and to, to set them back to what they were originally intended to do, right? This grand plan. And the Old Testament tells the story of, of Israel's glorious beginnings and this high calling that they had. But ultimately it tells the story of, of sin, rebellion, and ultimately slavery and exile. Um, and along the way, God you know, frees um, the, Israel from Egypt. He raises up judges and prophets to try to keep them on track. But Israel always seems to turn away. And really, you know, at the time of, of Jesus' birth, not all the Jews really believed that their exile was truly over. Yes, they had, they're, they're back from Babylon. The temple is rebuilt. But we have these pagan foreigners still there, the Romans, that are ruling over them. And they really had to feel like, they, in some ways, they were slaves in their own land. So then, when, when Jesus in the Gospels makes claims that he is the fulfillment of the Scriptures, he is the one that is going to come to rescue Israel, right? Even his name, Jesus, means Yahweh saves. This making sense, everybody? Are you good? Awesome. So in Matthew 121, the angel tells Joseph that, that your son, Jesus, is the one who will save his people from their sins. Now to us, that might make a lot of sense. Like, yeah, I can personally accept Jesus as my Savior and I can go to heaven and be forgiven of my sins, right? But I think to a, a first century Jew, this might have had a little bit of a different meaning. Actually, quite a different meaning. Um, it, it, for them, exile was punishment for their sins, right? So if they're forgiven of their sins, it must mean a freedom from exile, a freedom for an entire people group. This was a big deal. But I feel like they, they still didn't have a full understanding of what Jesus had come to do. Jesus hadn't come just to free them from physical exile or free them from Roman rule. He had come to, to free them from spiritual exile and, and spiritual and slavery. So this making sense? It was, it was a completely change of direction for an entire people. It was going from spiritual slavery to spiritual freedom. Luke 4.18, Jesus is referencing a prophecy in Isaiah 61, a messianic prophecy saying, this is about the Messiah, the coming Messiah. And when he reads it, he's saying, this is me. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Freedom to the captives. Setting the oppressed free. Jesus didn't just promise them freedom from a, a worldly power like Babylon or Rome. He was promising them a freedom from the Babylon of sin and death. So how do we apply this? How do we apply this idea of rescue today? You know, just as... The first century Jews may have limited Jesus' message just to being like, he's going to come and free us from the Romans. 
I feel like we can fall into a similar trap today, being like, well, this is some far-off prophecy. Someday, Jesus will split the sky, he's going to rescue us, and take us back up to heaven where we're going to be finally free. But the message of the gospel is that the rescue has already come, and freedom is being offered now. Amen? Jesus says in, in Luke 4 that today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The rescue has come. So what else can we get from this? Uh, I think when we look at the gospel through the lens of the Old Testament, when we look at it through the lens of, of Israel, we see it as this huge, incredible, glorious rescue from years upon years of sin, of rebellion, of slavery. And that tells us that no matter how many times we turn away from God, He finds a way to rescue us. We are never beyond redemption. His arm is, is never too short to rescue us. And that is good news. That's what, what we're talking about this morning. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about falling in love with the gospel. Falling in love with the person of Jesus. Making sense? So that's return. The next, or that's rescue. Next point is return. Um, so the gospel is also the story of Jesus as Israel's God returning back to his people as, as he had always promised. And I feel like sometimes the gospel that we try to present is there's this distant God who allowed sin to enter the world and, and now he has returned and, and he's um, paid the penalty of, uh, for sin and death and we can go to heaven. But it tends to overlook the whole story of Israel. Half the Bible. Um, so, the whole way through the Old Testament, God proves over and over again that He desires to be with His people. And He's intimately involved with their lives, right? For example, in the book of Exodus, um, God accompanies His people on their journey out of Egypt. You know, cloud by day, fire by night. You know, He, he parts the Red Sea. He provides manna. He does these amazing miracles. He provides... Um, you know, the tabernacle, a place where um, he promises to be and where they can go and they can worship him. All this amazing stuff. But this whole plan is almost turned inside out when the people create this golden calf and decide to bow down before it and worship this golden calf. And this becomes a theme throughout the Old Testament. A God who really, really desires to be with his people and he, and he goes to great lengths to be with them but he's not able to be fully involved with them because of their rebellion. Right? Making sense? You know, he even provided a temple for the people to meet with him. You know, he saves them from destruction, from their enemies. He does all these amazing things. But eventually, Israel's rebellion, continual sin, prompts God to abandon the temple, leaving the Babylonians to plunder it, to destroy it, and really what followed was this period of like divine absence. I feel like there must have been at least a sense among some of the Jews for a moment that God had left and when is he going to come back, right? But God through the prophets makes these incredible promises that I am going to return. God is going to return. That can't be the end of the story. As it was always intended, God is going to return, right? And... If you look at the Gospels, it, 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 Jesus makes it incredibly clear that he is that person. He is the Messiah. Even in, in John, the, the very first chapter, John 1.1, 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. A few verses later in John 1.14 it says, And the Word was made flesh, Jesus, right? And dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now this, this phrase, dwelt among us, I wish I could pronounce the Greek. I asked Mark if he could help me pronounce it. He hasn't gotten that far in his studies of the Greek yet, so I'm not going to even try to say it. Maybe Graham probably could help me. I should have asked him. But dwelt among us. He, sent up, he set up a tent or a tabernacle. That's what it means. That's this word dwelt among us. And to the Jews, this had to remind them of the tabernacle, right? The place where Jesus's or where God's glory was housed, where the very Shekinah glory of God was housed. And so what is John saying here? I think he's saying that Jesus is the temple 2.0. He is the perfect temple, right? Um, as it was always intended to be. And when you gaze upon this man, when you gaze upon Jesus, you're looking at the very glory of heaven. You're looking at the, the person of God, right? So, Back in that day, only the high priest on one day a year could go into the Holy of Holies, right? Now, anyone, everyone can talk to him, get to know him, walk with him, follow him. That is God in the flesh. That is good news, right? And just as God with his people in the book of Exodus, he continued to go with them, you know, um, cloud by day, fire by night. When Jesus lives, he, or when Jesus goes back to heaven, he promises to stay with his people, to continue to walk among them through his Holy Spirit, right? His very Spirit, the very Spirit of God was planted inside of us. That's good news. So the application for this idea of return, how do we look at it in today's world? I think it's pretty obvious. I think we can all relate to the idea of God sometimes feeling distant, and there are many people in our lives that probably think that God is completely absent. But the message of the gospel is that God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. Jesus. And, the, and uh, Jesus walked the earth. He made this sacrifice so that God's presence could be accessible to everyone. That's good news. If we've experienced that, if we've experienced the closeness of God, we have a responsibility to share that with other people, right? Is this good? Making sense? Awesome. So, we've covered rescue and return. First two points. Let's take a look at um, a renewed people launched. Jesus came to renew his people and launch them into their purpose. And when Jesus came to earth, he had this immediately had a purpose for his followers. In Matthew 10... Jesus sends out the twelve with this commission um, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, and declare that the kingdom of God has arrived. But he also says something interesting. He says, don't go into Gentile territory. Why is that? It wasn't until after Jesus was resurrected that, that Jesus commands his followers to go and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, right? So the mission is still the same. We have to ex proclaim the kingdom has come. We need to invite people to follow Jesus. But now, as it was always intended, the kingdom is open to everyone, right? And that's good news. 
The, go- the gospel message is that Israel's God has been made king over the entire earth and he wants everyone to be in his royal family. Right? We are all his chosen people. It says that in, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The second half of that verse comes with a kind of like a requirement, not a requirement, but something that it should spur us to do, right? Um, when, we, when we choose to be a part of that holy nation, we also sign up to be an ambassador, an ambassador for God, right? So this renewed people of God has this tremendous task to go into all the world and share this, this news. How do we do that? I feel like a big key to that is that, that God um, left us with His Holy Spirit, right? He's equipped His renewed people with the Holy Spirit. The very Spirit of God, you know, it fills the universe, it fills eternity, and it fills our hearts. And it's, there's power in that, and that's the good news. John 20, verse 21 and 22, Jesus is talking before He, he, he um, goes up to heaven, and as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus was doing for the people of Israel while he was on, on earth, now we're called to do that for the entire world by the power of the Holy Spirit, partnering with Jesus in that. That's cool, right? Am I the only one that's excited about this? I feel like I'm the only one excited about this. That's okay. All right. I mean, I think it's really exciting. I think if... Well, Graham, do the, the Greeks have a, an ellipsis, the three dots? Ellipses. I don't think they do either. But if they did, I think they should put that at the end of every gospel. Because, you know, it's, it's the end of the story of Jesus and his ministry, but it's the start of the kingdom of God, bringing, our role in bringing the kingdom of God to earth, right? That's awesome. So I think the application for this part of our new people launching their destiny is, is pretty simple. That when we sign up to be a part of this cho- chosen people, this royal priesthood, it comes with this commission that we're going to extend the kingdom wherever we go. And that's a high calling. And it's something that we've got to think about, right? Alright. The final point. My favorite one. The one that gets my spiritual juices flowing. Check your spiritual pulse. Let's watch it skyrocket. You guys are all so excited. It's 10 a.m. on a Sunday. We're talking about Jesus. Reigning King. So this whole, the whole, all of Jesus' ministry is set against this backdrop of Caesar as Lord. And he doesn't take very kindly to anyone questioning that authority or questioning his kingship. But we, on the other side, we have this, this God who is very familiar with taking down kingdoms. <laughs> Egypt... Um, Philistines, Babylon, to name a few. So when Jesus came to earth and he said, I am the Messiah, everyone's like, here it is. Here we go, it's on. Finally, the clash, the ultimate clash of the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness, with the kingdom of the one true God. And we're finally going to win, right? And maybe they thought, and they probably did think, this is going to be a violent thing, a violent clash. But we see throughout the Gospels, that it's more of a 
um, not so violent clash. But you can see it. And one of the like kind of the climactic clash for me is found in John 18. Jesus' own people had seized him. They take him before Pilate and they, they're bringing charges against him saying, this man says that he's the son of God, that he is a king and he needs to be crucified. Right? And Pilate asks Jesus, are you a king? And Jesus responds, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest but my kingdom is from another place. Kingdom of heaven. So Jesus explains that his kingdom is not of this world. Otherwise, there would be a physical battle going on right now. So the difference between these two kingdoms is really striking. We've got Caesar and really every other worldly kingdom that makes their way to the top through physical power, violence. On the other side, we have the kingdom of God that makes its way to the top through a different weapon, and that's the weapon of truth. Any time that you bring the weapon of truth against a kingdom that's built on lies, deception, and corruption, there's going to be trouble, right? So we can see kind of the drama behind this scene. Then Pilate says, Don't you know that I have the authority to let you go and the authority to crucify you? Jesus very bluntly says, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed, over, handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Jesus is speaking the truth here. The kingdom of darkness does have some limited power now. But ultimately, all power, all authority belongs to, to God, right? Belongs to me, Jesus. But Jesus' own people don't believe it. Pilate asks them, shall I crucify your king? And what, what follows is really one of the most chilling sentences that I, I think in the New Testament. The people reply, we have no king but Caesar. Can you imagine that as Jesus? The betrayal, the pain in that moment. He had returned to earth walked among his people, done these miracles, spoken truth, made relationships, and here they are. The Jews have gone from saying, we have no king but God, to proclaiming allegiance to the kingdom of this world, proclaiming allegiance to the kingdom of darkness. But, Jesus stuck to the plan. He had this tremendous love for his people. And he went to the cross. And when he went to the cross, he had this very sarcastic, really mocking sign above his head. And it said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, here he is, dying, defeated, on a cross. That's your king. But three days later, Jesus arose. Not just as Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, but as Jesus, King of Heaven, conquering King over the entire world. Isn't that cool? Yeah. That is so cool to me. Yeah. Jesus' love had defeated and reversed his people's rebellion. They had chosen the kingdom of this world. They had chosen the kingdom of darkness. But his kingdom of love overcame that. His love crowned Jesus as king. That's good news. This is what we're talking about. At the risk of, of sounding really cliché, Love wins. Rob Bell, 
Don't agree with everything in your book. But I agree with your title. Love wins, right? The love of God has rescued us. It goes with us. It launches us into our destiny as co-heirs with the kingdom of the universe. I want to read that sentence again because it really just kind of encapsulates everything we talked about this morning. Um, The love of God rescued us. That's point one. He came back and he rescued us. Um, Point two, his love goes with us. That's this returning king, right? Um, And it launches us into our destiny. What's our destiny? What's our purpose? To, To bring the kingdom. To extend the kingdom. To be ambassadors. As co heirs with the king of the universe. And that, for me, is the real point. The whole gospel is about Jesus. More about Jesus, less about us. He is the reigning king. Amen? Amen. I'm going to close with this. Can you pull up the last slide here? This is the, the challenge I just want to leave with you. Over the, the last um, five or six months, I've, I've read from in chronological order, the Old Testament. And I tried to read it through the lens of Jesus, and it's so eye-opening. And it caused me, reading the Old Testament, caused me to fall more in love with the message of the Gospel than I ever have. And when you fall in love with the message of the Gospel, you fall in love with the person of Jesus. So I encourage you, if you haven't, or even if you have, read the Old Testament again. Look at it through the eyes of, of Jesus. Everything points back to Him. And the final thing I wanted to say is, is find your role in advancing the kingdom of God. We are all ambassadors. We need to fall in love with this message and take it wherever we go. Amen? All right. Thank you so much for listening. It's such an honor to be here and talk with you guys. Um, Graham, come out and close. All right. Awesome job. Well, let's stand together as we... Um, respond this morning just taking a couple of moments as we close our service to respond to God's word and it's so good for us to hear again the message of the gospel and, uh, and, to, and to hear that afresh this morning um, and our lives are being continually transformed by the message of the gospel and by the power of the gospel it's not just something you hear once and you're done it's something that you hear over and over again And over and over again, we can step into faith. We can step into affirming the message of the gospel. Um, That gospel message that Paul in Romans chapter 1 says, it's the power of the gospel. He talks about just the overwhelming message of the gospel and how it changes our lives. So let's pray together as we kind of respond to hearing the gospel again this morning. As Aaron has presented the different aspects to us. Maybe there was one of those four points that that really stuck with you this morning. And let's just take a moment in our own hearts and our own minds to respond. Father God, we thank you. And it kind of seems a little weak in response just to say thank you, but God, you have said in your word that if we affirm and believe in our hearts and respond with the confession of our minds that that we believe in Christ, that we believe in you, God, and in the power of your gospel, that we are brought into a new saving life with you, God. And so once again, we affirm uh, just the power of your gospel and the life that it brings. 
And God, we pray that you would teach us in a deeper way what it means to affirm the gospel of Jesus Christ in our own hearts and in our own minds and also then as we look to extend your kingdom, God, with the message of the gospel that we've heard this morning. God, that you didn't just uh, save us so that we could keep this message to ourselves, God. But the message of, of Christ as the reigning King, God, needs to be heard, needs to be extended beyond the walls of our church. God, help us to know how to do that faithfully. Thank you, God, for your, for your word this morning. It stirs our hearts again, God, to respond to your gospel. God, we just pray you would lead us out this morning in new life, new hope, and new faith in you this morning, God. Amen. 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 All right. <clears throat> we want to thank you for worshiping us with us this morning as we close. We have a prayer team that's going to be over here um, to my right, and they'd be glad to pray with you for any um, prayer need that you have. We also have um, a Rhema team coming up. Is anybody on Rhema ministry this morning? All right. We'll see if anybody is going to be on Rhema ministry this morning. Um, you're dismissed. We have donuts, coffee. Grab your kids from kids ministry if they're in there. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks.